when it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices. Things can get complicated fast. With Vanta, you can automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform can help you unify security program management with a built-in risk register and reporting and streamline security reviews with AI-powered security questionnaires. Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, Flow Health, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash decoder. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This week, I'm talking to Jeep CEO Christian Mounier, and there's a lot to talk about. Jeep just announced its second hybrid electric vehicle in the United States, the Grand Cherokee 4xE. It also announced a plan for its first electric car in 2023, and to have EVs across its lineup by 2025, which, I'll remind you, is less than four years away. Jeep is also now part of a huge global car company called Stellantis, which, yeah, we're just going to have to start at the beginning. So Jeep is obviously a legendary car brand with roots dating back to World War II. But over time, it's been caught up in an endless series of corporate mergers and restructurings. Chrysler first bought Jeep in 1987. Then in 1998, Chrysler merged with Mercedes owner Daimler-Benz, forming a company called Daimler Chrysler. That merger was undone in 2007 when Daimler sold Chrysler to a private equity firm. The private equity firm then merged Chrysler with Fiat to form Fiat Chrysler in 2014. And then just last year, a merger of Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot was approved by the European Commission, creating the world's fourth largest car company by volume, a behemoth called Stellantis. Yep, Stellantis. Now, unless you're a huge car nerd, this is probably the first time you've heard of Stellantis. But you've definitely heard of the brands it runs. Maserati, Opel, Fiat, and Citroën in Europe, Ram, Dodge, Jeep, and Chrysler here in the States. And like every car company, Stellantis is pursuing an aggressive electrification plan led by Jeep. The Jeep Wrangler plug-in hybrid, which the company calls the Wrangler 4xE, is the best-selling plug-in hybrid in the United States, and two smaller Jeep models are the best-selling plug-in hybrids in Italy. And just a couple weeks ago, Jeep launched that new Grand Cherokee 4xE, which uses the same hybrid engine setup as the Wrangler. The Grand Cherokee is the quintessential family SUV. My own family has one. Putting a battery in it is one of those big steps along the way to full electrification, but it is just a step and it comes with some trade-offs. You'll hear Christian describe these hybrids as a bridge to the ultimate goal of having electric vehicles across the Jeep lineup. 
enabling even wilder features Jeep has previewed. Autonomous off-road driving, biometric locks, even a built-in drone. So I wanted to know, why start with hybrids instead of jumping straight to EVs? What does it mean to be the CEO of a brand like Jeep inside of a huge international company like Stellantis? How does the Jeep team make decisions about features and technology, and how much do they have to defer to that larger parent company? And what does it mean for Jeep, one of the most iconic American car brands, to be part of a huge global company now? Christian and I talked about all of that, as well as how the chip shortage is affecting Jeep, what cars will look like in 2040, and Jeep's use of the name Cherokee. Yeah, the interview goes places. A couple notes before we start, since there's a lot of car industry vocab in this one. You'll hear Christian say ICE or ICE, which is short for internal combustion engine, the traditional car engine. PHEVs are plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, cars with a gas engine and a battery that can be charged by plugging it in, enabling you to potentially never use that gas engine. And BEV or BEV is battery electric vehicles or completely electric cars. He also refers to ADAS, which stands for Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. Those are driver assistance features like adaptive cruise control and lane assist, not full autonomous driving systems. If you've been listening to all of our car company interviews over the past few weeks, you'll know there's a big debate there. All right, Christian Munier, the global CEO of Jeep. Here we go. Christian Munier, you're the global CEO of Jeep. You are on the Stellantis Executive Board. Welcome to Decoder. Uh, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor and a pleasure for me to talk about the brand that I'm uh, leading right now. And uh, I'm very excited to have this opportunity to share all the nice stuff and the technology that are in the pipeline for Jeep. It's exciting. You've just announced a new plug-in hybrid Grand Cherokee. You've announced that you'll offer hybrid options across the lineup by 2025. There are some prototypes of full electric vehicles, so there's quite a bit to talk about. Uh, I want to start with some very basic questions. I think of them as the decoder questions. Stellantis is a huge company. Jeep was part of Chrysler, which was then merged into Fiat Chrysler, which was then merged with Peugeot to create Stellantis. Tell me how this company is structured. How does it work? Because it seems like just a gigantic company with some very famous brands I always wonder, inside of a structure like that, how does it work? What kind of decisions do you get to make and what kind of decisions does this larger organization take for itself? So it's an amazing uh, company that has been uh, created a few months ago only at the beginning of this year in January. Since then, a lot has been accomplished. This is a company that incorporates 14 brands, 12 car brands, automotive brands, and two with, say, uh, mobile services and financial services and products of that nature. So a lot of, uh, I would say, a house of brand, a house of brand with many, many different opportunities around the globe, a lot of brands that have a very, very strong history, a lot of uh, a very strong heritage. And the good news is very few of them have any kind of uh, commonality in terms of customer targets and geographical coverage. So very good complementary between the brands. The way it works within Stellantis is, is, is pretty simple. It's a matrix organization where you have basically the regions, the functions, and the brand. And uh, within the executive committee, obviously, all the executive reporting to Mr. Tavares, work it out and uh, find uh, the best solutions for the corporation with 
you know, usually uh, a very strong, I would say, support from each other to make things happen. And when there is an arbitration, obviously, we have a CEO to make the final call. So pretty simple, pretty straightforward and uh, working very well so far. I want to push on that a little bit, though. Jeep is a pretty unique car brand. It has a long heritage. It has been owned by multiple companies over the years. What kinds of decisions do you make that are decisions that only Jeep should do? We're going to do high-end off-road vehicles. We're going to offer 37-inch tires on the Jeep Wrangler versus bigger car company questions like, what is the future of our platform? Where does that split happen for you? So I think one of the challenges is obviously to have as many synergies as possible, but keep the DNA of the brands intact. And that's why the power of the global CEO is very important. So Carlos Tavares has uh, appointed a global CEO for each brand. And uh, the role of these CEOs is to make sure that the integrity of the brand is there, that the DNA is there, and that we respect the product and we make it even richer. And instead of spending you know, money in architecture uh, that are common, you know, in technologies that at the end for 90% of the cases are common, we spend the money on the differentiation, which is a superb opportunity for each brand because we can really what needs to be common that doesn't really make a difference for the customer we can commonize and what is really different and needs to be different in terms of jeep obviously there is a lot of components related to off-road for adventure for the freedom the open air you know the big tires as you mentioned and these (laughs) are the things on which we will never compromise so this makes it really interesting because obviously there are some trade-offs to make but at the end, I think it gives us a lot of horsepower in terms of creating the infrastructure, the architecture, and then we work from that architecture to develop the best product possible, which is a fascinating opportunity for us. You mentioned things that are differentiators, off-road ability, taking the roof off a Wrangler. What are the commonalities that you think don't matter to the customer? I think a lot of things that first they don't see Second, you know, the uh, underpinning, then the, the tuning of obviously everything related to electronics to make the, the product appropriate for, you know, on-road performance for a Maserati or an Alfa Romeo and off-road oriented for a Jeep Wrangler. At the same time, the Jeeps that you used to know a few years, 10, 20 years ago, have evolved a ton. And I think the challenge we have now and I think we deliver extremely well with the Grand Cherokee, the Grand Wagoneer, and, and the new Jeeps that are in market now is to find that perfect balance between on and off-road performance because we don't want to compromise it. And the new Grand Cherokee that was just launched is that wildly civilized product that we're very proud to bring because we think we're the best in class in both worlds. That's really the, the thing that we try to do with a Jeep. A Jeep is really about balancing the two when you will have an alpha going, you know, full speed ahead on the, on, the, on the performance, the pure performance, right? We highlight the thing that matters to us. So the, the design, design for Jeep is very, very critical. Uh, the capability on and off-road. And more and more, I would say that's the simplicity of the technology, the usability of the technology in the car that all our customers are really requesting from us, like the maps available on, on the screen. You don't want to have 10 menus to go down the menus to find it. It has to be on the fingertips when this kind of feature doesn't exist for the others. So these are the things we need to really figure out so that we uh, deliver on, on the customer expectation for Jeep. How big is the Jeep team that is just focused on making Jeep products? 
It's very difficult to give you an answer because everybody's, you know, a lot of people work on Jeep, for example, in the engineering team, obviously you have platform program director. So you have people who are responsible for a platform and in that platform, they're going to be responsible to deliver the profitability across the platform. And then you have vehicle line engineer. We're going to be specifically uh, focused on, for example, Jeep. Another one was going to be focused on a Dodge or a Ram product. So they all have different objectives. And there are obviously synergies between uh, those. Talking about thousands of people, I think we have 30, more than 35,000 engineers in the world of Stellantis. And uh, I'm not going to give you a number, but it's you know, thousands of people dedicated to Jeep today in that area. It would be pretty much the same on the industrial side, on the purchasing side. Obviously, we purchase for all the brands. But we're talking thousands of people, 100% dedicated to Jeep at this moment, yeah. I think I understand how it works for you as the global CEO of Jeep. You're on committees, you're looking out 5, 10, 20 years in the distance, you're making platform decisions, and if you need to break a tie, you've got Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares who helps break that tie. If you're a middle manager or mid-level engineer at Jeep, how often does Stellantis come into play for you? How often is there a Stellantis decision that's going to change your decision? If you're the program manager for the Jeep Renegade, how often does that person have to think about Stellantis? On the Jeep side, I don't know if you've uh, ever seen that slogan, but we don't make Jeep, you do when we talk to the customers. <laughs> and, and that's always what we're trying to do within the Jeep family and the community of Jeep. And I think everything we do is going to be to answer either a a request from the customer or th something that we know is going to be very valuable for our community and our customers. So that's really the number one thing we think we always have in mind. In terms of the Stellantis way, obviously it's not, it's, I wouldn't say that by any means the Stellantis way is completely finalized. There are a lot of things still in motion. The fact that the brands have a lot of power is very strong because it basically forces us to find smart solutions to deliver on what the customers need for each brand and make that emphasis on that. So we're going to have that 90% commonality on ADAS, right? Autonomous drive. We're going to have that 90% similar kind of approach to software. But we're going to have that 10% difference, which is going to be about personalization. Personalization for Jeep is very important because when you drive off-road, there are certain things you need to bring up to your screen. You don't need certain functions. So it's very important that you have that ability to, uh, to personalize. So I would say each brand has their own customer target, but we find ways to commonalize 90% and get the synergies through, you know, six to seven to eight million vehicles that we're going to build on four platforms only. So as you might know, or maybe you don't, but we have four platforms within the Stellantis, which have been announced during the EV day that we had a few months ago. The Stella Small, the Stella Medium, Large and Frame. And these four platforms are basically going to be covering the entire world of our 12 brands. Obviously, that's going to be up to each brand to define, okay, these are the 10% that I need to change. These are the core of my brand DNA. We'll get even more differentiation than in the past between brands because we'll, focus, we'll put the money where the customer really wants and not in the core, uh, I would say in the base of the technology, the connectivity, autonomous drive, or the electrification which is in many cases 80-90% common between, you know, uh, I would say a, a Jeep and a Ram, for example, right? But the 10% will make the big difference in drivability, off-road capability, 
towing capability and things like that. You mentioned RAM. I've been thinking about how to ask this question. I'm just going to ask it. Jeep and RAM in this country are marketed as very American brands. There are literally American flags on the side of the new Grand Cherokee. There's the military heritage for Jeep. Ram makes the TRX, which is a 700 horsepower super truck, gigantic truck. But you know, you're European. Stellantis is now largely a European company. How does that connect? Do you still think of these as American car companies? Is there a disconnect between the European DNA of the larger company and these two specific brands? How do you manage that? I don't think there is any disconnect. I don't think it's an American company or a European company. I think it's a global company that will make sure that the power of each brand and their heritage becomes intact and is reinforced in the future. You, you might have seen that a new CEO for Chrysler has just been appointed because we want Chrysler to not only survive, we want Chrysler to become strong has a great heritage and we want Chrysler to take off again, maybe in a different way, but it's very clear that we have strong ambition for each of these brands. I would say, you know, the CEO has, has said something really interesting lately. It was that, you know, the center of gravity is not in Paris. It's not in Turin. It's not in Auburn Hills, in Detroit or in Brazil or in China. The center of gravity is somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Right? <laughs> and Carlos Tavares himself said, you know, I'm a Portuguese from a small country that nobody knows where it is. And it doesn't matter, right? I think culturally, we're building something very, very exciting. We're, we're, we're building a, a house of brand, but we're also building a culture of diversity, which is going to give us really a strong advantage compared to some of the big players in the world, which are either, you know, German, Japanese or whatever, but very, very centric to one type of culture and one continent. I think we have the opportunity with this to, for, through its diversity, diversity of, would say, race, diversity of sex, diversity of background and regions and, and everything to really target with our all 12 different brands, a lot of different customers, without once again stepping on each other's toes, which was a little bit the fear when, when we merged. I don't know if I answered your question well. It did. I, you know, I, here's a specific version of the question. When you build the Grand Cherokee for the European market, are you going to put American flags on the side? The American flag is going to stay only for the U.S. market because we thought it was a very nice uh, wing to the Americans, and they love it. They, they like the Americana. <laughs> it's true, they do. At the same time, we believe that you know, for the market, it, it's not the most important thing, even though it's very American. You know, people recognize in Europe that Jeep is American, but we're not going to put the flag. We don't need to. And we don't want to alienate anybody, right? We sell everywhere in the world. We don't want to enter any kind of political games, you know? We're, uh, we're an American brand. We're very proud of it. I'm not American myself, but my three kids are American. I might become <laughs> American in a few months. I've been living in the U.S. for so many years, and I think we're very proud of the heritage. But it's not about just making a big claim about it. But we love, our, we love our American flag on the Grand Cherokee and the Grand Wagoneer. We think it's awesome. Very proud of it. I just want, you know, like uh, Ferraris are often just like painted in the Italian flag. You know, there's, when I, the question is, as you become a much more global company and you use these platforms to sell these vehicles around the world, does that sense of place dissipate? 
I think the, the roots of our brand is, is a very important piece because it, you know, it, it goes back to 80 years, right? When the Willis was made related to the D-Day, you know, being originally French, I know what it represents, the freedom yeah. of Europe, the war against the Nazi, the American basically freeing France and Europe. So it has a big, you know, it has a big weight to carry. And I think there is a lot of pride in the company to, to keep that going the right way. So I think the American heritage is going to be there. But think about Jeep today versus what Jeep was only in 2000, you know, let's say just before 2010. We're selling 300,000 cars at the time, 300,000 Jeeps a year. And it was represented in the U.S. It was only, the Jeeps were only built in the U.S., with four plants. Now we have six countries in 10 plants and we sell all over the world. We sell in more than 110 countries and we sell five times, roughly five times more volume than we used to sell in 10, 10 years, right? So I think the, the, the brand has completely evolved, has become a global brand, but still very, very strongly rooted in the, in the US, for sure. Let's talk about this new Grand Cherokee. Yep. You announced it. It was uh, a bit of a COVID dilemma. You were going to announce it at the New York Auto Show that was canceled. It was announced online. It's finally here, including a hybrid version that can run for 20-odd miles on the, on the battery alone. This is the same basic engine setup as the plug-in Wrangler, which is already on sale in the U.S. And, and the Wrangler is doing quite well here, yeah? Yeah, the, you know, we, we launched the... Uh the plug-in hybrid in Europe a year, a little bit more than a year ago uh, with the Renegade and the Compass. And it's been a really, really strong success. Now we're number one in Italy, which is our largest market with what we call 4xE. We don't call it plug-in hybrid because we build the most capable Jeep with electrification, right? It's not only about electrifying for compliance and better fuel economy and sustainability. It's also because we, br we, we bring to market the best Jeep, the most capable Jeep, the most fun to drive Jeep. And we can drive off-road in silence, which we believe is the ultimate fun stuff to do. The Wrangler we launched at the beginning of this year, and we're now number one in the US. So we're number one plug-in with Wrangler, and uh, we're sold out for the, yes, for the rest of the year ahead of some brands which have been with hybrid system for many years, which I'm not going to mention. So we're doing <laughs> extremely well with it. And we're launching the Grand Cherokee uh, two row with 4xE at the beginning of next year in the US and then across the globe. So uh, we believe we have something really big because electrification is not for Jeep, just a must because we need to comply and we need to sustain. It's much bigger than that. We believe that with the torque you can get plus the the silence, that will have something really huge ahead of us. And obviously the plug-in hybrid technology might be a bridge to the pure electrification. We've announced that in 2025, we'll have a BEV, so a pure electric, battery electric Jeep in every SUV segment. That means we need to really work hard to get there, but we're going to get there. We're really ahead of the game and we want to keep that image because we think it, it's a perfect match with Jeep. Big change compared to the Jeep of five, 10 years ago. Uh, but so far, it's, it's, it's really getting a lot of traction. You mentioned the Renegade and the Compass are best-selling uh, plug-in hybrids in Italy. Why aren't they on sale in the United States? 
So we had a lot of studies about that. Obviously, the, the Renegade and Compass segment in the US are a lot lower price points. So it's a lot more challenging to bring product with that kind of technology in these entry segments. It will change in the next two to three years when I would say there will be lower cost solutions, uh, more efficient solution. The cost of the battery is going down. The, the, the cost of the sales are going down. And we will bring some smaller vehicles with full electrification in the North American market. But for now, we're not, we've decided not to bring them for the U.S. market, for Renegade Compass. Is that just that European buyers will pay it premium prices for smaller cars than American buyers will? Yeah, smaller cars are more premium in, in Europe than they are in the U.S. I would say that the, the, the smaller cars in the U.S. are more about transportation and they need to stay within certain price bands. Otherwise, people tend to buy bigger SUVs. So we are focusing on larger segment right now. And obviously, very, very quickly, we'll, we'll cascade all these technologies down to, to smaller models. I don't know if you've, you've seen this tweet. There's a, a very popular tweet about the Wrangler Hybrid. The Wrangler Hybrid is the best-selling plug-in hybrid in the United States, as you said. And there's a tweet that it's a guy saying, my neighbors across the street bought this car. They didn't even know it was a hybrid. I showed them that they could plug it in. How many people are buying the hybrid, the Wrangler hybrid, because it is a, a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle versus how many people are just buying a Jeep Wrangler, do you think? I think it's both. I think a lot of, a lot of customers that would have bought an ICE, a regular engine, are buying this one because they think that it's really cool. I think it gives them more capability off-road. It's fun to drive. Actually, I don't know if you've driven it, but it's really fun either in hybrid mode or in pure electric. And pure electric is really a blast. No sound, once again. It's really, and it's fun, has a lot of torque. I would say that in states where sometimes we had some image issue with gas guzzler kind of image in California, notably, I think we're doing extremely well with a 4xe, with a plug-in, because people can do both. And they can commute and drive their 10, 15, 20 miles commute a day. Feel good about it, rightfully so. And then when they have a longer distance, they use the, uh, the hybrid system to get better fuel efficiency. And I think it's, uh, it's the best of two worlds. We're attracting new people into the brand with this, which is really cool. And that's also the purpose of it. You know, technology is driving a lot of conquest. I was looking at statistics a few days ago. In 2012, for Jeep and other brands within the XFCA portfolio, 30% uh, of the conquest owners uh, say technology influence their decision. So it was not, technology was not a big deal, right? It was only, th it was still 30%. And I think it helped us uh, grow the Jeep brand significantly when on a product like the new Grand Cherokee at the time that we brought beginning of 2012, had quite a lot of technology for the time. And we attracted new people. We had a lot of conquest. Now on 2022, it's 75% of the conquest buyer. So if you have great technologies that respond to the customer, you have a lot more chance to, con to, to, to get Conquest. So technology is now really important. Just to be clear, Conquest is when somebody owned a different kind of car and they buy a Jeep instead. Yeah, you, you make Conquest from another brand than Jeep. And you're saying the number of people who switch brands, the percentage who are doing it because of technology is increasing very quickly. Yeah, technologies and refinement. And, and I would say that if you look at the Jeeps today and the Jeep five, 10 years ago, it's almost day and night, right? They've maintained their capabilities. They're still very, very, very strong and the best off-road players. But at the same time, the refinement, the technology you get in the car is at par or better in many cases. 
look at the Grand Cherokee Grand Wagoneer, I don't think we have any kind of issue comparing to the best of the best of the premium brands. So I think we uh, we bring the the best of two worlds with Jeep. And, and I think with that 75% that really pay attention to technology, we have, a you know, I would say the sky is the limit. I think when they discover the new Jeep, they fall in love with it. And I think with 4xe, that's what's going to happen. So I'm a product reviewer. I'm well aware that sometimes what product reviewers think and what the market says are extremely disconnected. Mm -hmm. The Wrangler is selling well, but I read the reviews in Car and Driver and the Wall Street Journal, and they were both pretty harsh about this car. They said that the battery made it heavy, it made the handling worse, and notably that once the battery was depleted, the actual fuel economy of the gas engine was low. It was around 20 miles per gallon. Is that an appropriate set of trade-offs? Do you think people are just going to run it on the battery all the time and the gas engine is a backup? The best way to really leverage that technology is to charge it, to charge it every morning, every night. And we really push hard for customers to invest in a level two charger at, at their home because it makes the driving experience beyond the fuel economy itself much better. It makes the driving experience t totally different, a lot more fun, a lot smoother. And, and at the end of the day, they save money, especially if they have sm short commute. Why not do it? You just buy these level two, which are very affordable now. Uh, you install them in the garage and you just, you know, in two hours, your car is charged 100%. So wh why not do it? So we really push hard on this. And I would say the vast majority of the, uh, of the buyers, if you look on, I encourage you to look at all the, the groups that exist on Instagram, Facebook, etc., on social media. There are a lot of 4 by e clubs now, 4 by e fans and thousands of them, right? So we're not talking hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. And these people are truly passionate about it. They're geeks. They dismantle the systems. They want to know how it works. Uh, some guys have driven 100 miles. You can see 100 miles by using the regen function. So they use a regen function within the best condition and everything to drive only on electric or regeneration between, between fuel and, and, and the battery. And they're having fun with it. And I think that's that's part of the experience to max the effect. If you just buy a 4xe and never charge it, you lose a lot of the experience. That's sad. You, you lose the sustainability part of it, which is, which is appreciated, right? Which should be appreciated. And second, you, you lose the fun to drive that you have when you have both. You have a lot more power and torque. It's a lot more fun, right? And American, Americans like power. They like torque. So why wouldn't, <laughs> why wouldn't they do it? And it's cheaper, right? I agree. Do you know the attach rate of level two chargers to four by E sales? Do you know that every Jeep dealer who sells a four by E is, is selling a, a level two charger? What's that percentage? It's hard to tell because there are a lot of aftermarket solutions. There are hundreds of different providers. You can find them on Amazon. You can find them everywhere. We have some recommendations, but usually customers do it, do, do it their own way. And it's very easy to do now. So they just pick one. Do you, do you, get, do you collect telemetry data from the cars? Do you know how many cars are being charged, how the battery states are going. I mean, they are connected, yeah. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah, we do. Within the privacy law, of course we know. Yeah, we do. And the vast majority of the customers do it. The vast majority of the customers have a level two, and the vast majority do it on a daily basis. We know that. And especially, I would say in California, it's like, it's not 100%, but it's 90% plus. I was just talking to 
Ford CEO Jim Farley, he said they were, you know, they're, they're building some new plants here. One of the things he mentioned to me was that there's a shortage of trained technicians who can handle the complexity of these cars. Obviously, a hybrid system is much more complex than battery only or gas only. Are you feeling the same shortage of technicians, people to train up to service these cars over their, their lifetimes? Yeah, we're starting to. And I think one of the challenges is to get the training up and running for the technician and the salespeople and, and basically get them ready for the bigger volume that is coming. I would say that for now, you know, the mix of sales is still pretty limited. When you think about North America, it's 5%, roughly 5%. In uh, 2025, you know, between BEV and, and PHEV, it's going to be around the 35 to 40%. So obviously, our challenge is to make sure that first we have the right education of the customer before they buy and they purchase. They understand exactly what the product is going to do and not do. And as important, I would say, is the technician you know, the, the training of the technicians, of the receptionist to find the right, the right solutions to the problems. Because, yeah, to your point, these are different technology. I would say the plug-in hybrids are a little bit of a both-world kind of complexity, right? So that makes it, that makes, it's not simple technology. So uh, we're putting a lot of efforts on that, on, on this technology and the training with our technicians in the network. The, the good news, I would say, is it's sales are usually pretty concentrated, in very big metro and secondary market. So it's not like the entire network selling a lot of volume everywhere. So we are able to really uh, put a lot of efforts in the in the big, I would say in the big metro. Do you think you're always gonna sell hybrids or do you think by 2025, 20, 2035, when you've got battery electric vehicles in every segment, you're gonna start phasing out hybrids? So what, what we're committed to do is to be as Stellantis as a company at a global level, I think it's 40%. BEV by 2030. I think Jeep is going to be ahead of that. You know, we have a product plan in the pipeline which is going to be ahead of that. There will be a transition, especially in, I think Europe is a little bit of ahead of, ahead of the game. I think China as well. So I think the acceleration is is faster, but I think the US are following suit very quickly, especially in the I would say D and above segment. So the segment of the Cherokee and above, uh, electrification is a must. Is a must because of the efficiency you get through electrification, either BEV or, or plug-in hybrid or hybrid. Then on the smaller segment, I think we'll keep some abilities to keep the more traditional hybrids for a longer period of time to keep the affordability. And I think when the cost of the electrification will go down, which we expect between 25 and 30, I think slowly but surely, you know, the ramp up of the smaller segment to electrification will happen. To answer your question, I think in 2030, the ICE proportion, the traditional ICE is going to be much smaller, at least for Jeep, uh, in North America, I would say in the Western world and in Asia and in China. The pure hybrid will become, a, I would say, a minority of sales. Almost every CEO I've talked to, especially the car CEOs, have mentioned the chip shortage as being a huge problem. It does not seem to be resolved anytime soon. How has the chip shortage affected Stellantis and how has it affected Jeep? It's definitely a pain. It's a new pain that we have to deal with. It's a severe crisis that you know, all manufacturers have to deal with. I would be tempted to say that we have all the teams uh, on the dock to get it done and to find solutions. You know, engineering, trying to find software solutions, change in software solutions, change in parts, change in design. We need a lot of versatility, flexibility to manage that. Sometimes, unfortunately, we lose volume of production, as you know, right? 
So on the small jeeps in the United States, we've been losing quite a lot of volume on the small jeeps. And unfortunately, we've lost some, some market share. At the same time, we've been able to protect the launch of the Grand Cherokee, of the Grand Wagoneer. We'll protect the launch of the Turo and the 4xE because they're very strategic. So I would say altogether a pain uh, that we've been able to manage. I don't think we're out of it. I think we have another many months ahead of us where we're going to have to manage that through. Hopefully, there's some uh, manufacturing that will take place in the next couple, three years in North America, in Europe, because today we're too reliant on Asia. It's too bad that we discovered it so, uh, so late in the process, but so far so good for us. I think we're finding our way. We're very strong people in the company and uh, good collaboration to find solutions. It's all about... It's every day another crisis, <laughs> and every day requires new innovation, new thinking, new ideas to find a way through. And, uh, and so far, we've been able to, uh, to maneuver around it. One thing that uh, a number of people have said to me is the real crisis is on the older technologies, right? There, no one's going to invest in building older kinds of chips. That's where the constraints are. As you bring up new products like Grand Cherokee, Wagoneer, I'm assuming they're using newer chips. Has that been a dynamic that you've seen? I think there, it's, not, it's not a question of old chips and, and new chips. I think it's more of a matter that the car industry represents only 5% at most of the chip industry. So we're not, the weight of the car industry is not big enough to get exactly what is needed. Uh, obviously, in the future, we'll pay a lot more attention to this and we'll make sure that the supply chain of these chips and the commitment uh, from the manufacturer is going to be there for us to not have that again in the, in the future. But I think it's more a matter of uh, electronics have been selling very, very fast. The volume has been through the roof during the COVID time. And I think is, it has taken some capacity away. And now it's hard to catch up. And plus all the, the issues we've seen with Malaysia, Indonesia, and COVID, you know, and plants shutting down. And so there are a lot of different things that pop up because we're very tight in supply. When you have 200% capacity, you don't see, you don't see the problem. But when you're at 92 or 90% capacity and there is an issue, a crisis, a plant closing, then it becomes a disaster. That's where you, you need to, to find solution. And now we are below 100% capacity. So whenever there is an issue, just a little glitch in the system, it becomes a big problem. I think that's, uh, that's where the, the problem is today. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Christian and I will talk about charging networks and how that's having an effect on the switch to all-electric vehicles. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com US innovate. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. 
Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're back. Before the break, we were talking about the effect that ship shortage and the technician shortage is having on the auto industry. But there's another bigger thing that's holding back full electrification, charging networks. Every time I read a review of an electric car that isn't a Tesla, the biggest complaint is charging away from home. So I wanted to know, is that part of the reason Jeep decided to do hybrid vehicles now and electric vehicles later? And what is the plan for charging new electric Jeeps? Take a guess. Do you think you'll sell any gas engines in 2040? In 2040? Yeah. I'm just five years after the farthest timeline you've announced. Do you think you'll have any gas engines? I'd be tempted to answer no. I'll be tempted to answer that no traditional IC will be in a Jeep in 2040, but maybe I'm wrong. We're a global brand, so we'll be accommodating markets. But I think all, you know, all the markets in the world evolve in that direction. And you can take the BRICS. You can take India, you can take Brazil, you can take uh, China. Obviously, China has made the move to electrification, but even India is moving, putting incentives to bring BEV. They, they want to have BEV built in India. Latin America is a little slower because they have the flex fuel, and obviously there are some other uh, political and economical ramification to it. But think about a country like Brazil. It's 100% hydroelectric. So they produce the electricity with water, Right. That's a pure cycle, right? There is no detriment to nature. So it's a really good technology. So over time, they will move into electrification. So 2040, it's going to be very small, if there is any. One of the big stumbling blocks to full electrification is charging networks. You can have a vision of all electric cars everywhere in 2040. Here in 2021, Tesla has great charging network. Mm -hmm. Every other company has a bad charging experience. That is just the way every review has gone. It's the way my experience with electric vehicles has gone. Other people with electric vehicles. How do you see that expanding? I think the, the responsibility of our governments, whether in the, it is in the U.S. or in Europe or elsewhere, is to accelerate because there is one thing to put pressure on compliance. It's another thing to make sure that everything else follows and you put the right focus to get the grid in line, I think the risk would be that the grid is not supporting all these electrification efforts. Uh, so that's a risk. But I think it's a responsibility of a government to do that. Obviously, we'll work with them. We're pushing them because it has to happen quicker than it currently happens. And it's like also on the production of electricity. You know, at one point in time, we're going to have to do something to produce more electric, electricity to support all these uh, needs. You know, I'm hearing that in California, so there is some recommendation not to use the grid at certain hours and things like that, because there's not enough already to support the electric cars on the road. That's a big challenge, and it has to be solved between, I would say, now and 2023, 24, because the volume of cars sold in the, in the United States, in North America, in Europe, is going to be much higher. There are strong plans that are being developed, but it's going to be about execution. So the governments will have a lot of pressure to deliver on that mission. So you're, you're putting this on the government. And you know the Biden administration has some plans. The bills have not passed, but they have some plans. 
is doing hybrids first a, a way to avoid this problem? We're going to sell hybrids. People will charge at home. They'll get the benefit on commutes. And for the long range, they have the gas. And we'll just wait for the in- infrastructure to be there before we go to battery. Or are you actively pushing on the charging situation? We need to do both because we need to be, a re- we need to be realistic and pragmatic. The world is not ready for, for having you know, 50 or 100% of the electric cars on the road. So I think we need to be pragmatic. And I think plug-in hybrids is, is a good technology to bridge. But the second thing is, it's not only a government's responsibility. Obviously, the government needs to put the, the infrastructure, but also put the, the regulations that force the new construction to have charging stations in the parking lots, new uh, private or commercial buildings to have charging stations. And it should become mandatory because it's going to be needed. Also working with potentially the, the current gas distributors with all the different, you know, um, supermarket, hypermarket uh, around the globe. So there are a lot of initiatives going on. So you will see uh, an explosion, I would say, of the charging station in the next two to three years. Today, today it's still pretty small in the U.S. You know, the number of BEVs is still, still minuscule compared to the 17 million potential market in the U.S., right? I was talking to Polestar CEO Thomas Inglet, who obviously cares way more about charging than you do. Polestar is an electric car. I asked him, have you talked to Tesla? And he said, yep, sometimes they talk about working together and then it goes away. Elon Musk has recently made some more comments about opening up the superchargers. Is that a conversation you've had or that Solantis has had with Tesla? We have discussion with, obviously, with all the OEMs, Electrify America, all the providers of you know, charging station, because I think it's in everybody's interest to find solution that will work for everybody. You know, when Tesla sells, starts selling more volume, they're going to need a little bit more charging station as well, and they won't be able to be standalone. So I think it's, it's, it's really going to be a common need for all the manufacturers to find a common solution. It's not about having a unique solution by brand. It's, it's never going to happen. I think it's going to have to be a public infrastructure that is available to all the brands for that to work. You know, when you reach 30, 40, 50%, think about 8 million cars. You're on the highway, you're going for your Thanksgiving uh, family reunion, and, and, and you got 50% of the cars on the highway uh, going for one charging station. That's not going to work, right? So we need to find a way to get that done. And we have a few years, but we don't have that many because the, we're cranking. You know, the volumes are cranking, all the manufacturers <laughs> are going, <laughs> but it seems that. We're a little faster than, uh, than the grid. So the grid is going to have to move. And more important than that is the electricity. We need to find the solutions to produce that electricity that we don't have today. When you say all the manufacturers need to find a solution, are you talking about charging standards? Are you talking about battery systems? Where does the standardization need to happen? Oh, the standardization of what, what do you mean? The batteries and the systems, and you know, there won't be millions. Of- well, I mean, it, it could be the plug, right? You know, all the cars are going to use the same plug, which they don't all do right now. Mm-hmm. Or it could be charging speeds, a kind of deeper part of the tech stack. It could be battery technology and two-way communication between the battery and the grid. There's a lot of places to standardize that are not standardized now. Where do you think the most important places? But for the most part, you can you can charge a, a Bev in whatever charging station, we just need an adapter. I think, I think over time, I think the, the plugs are going to become the same. You know, you remember the, maybe you don't because you're a younger man, but with the VCR, you know, the VCR, the Betamax and the VHS, right? 
And, and I appreciate yeah. that you think that I'm not. No, young, you're but I you're young. I, thank you. That's a nice comment. It's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, but you know, at one point there will be one standard to, for plug-in. I think the technologies are getting a lot more homogeneous uh, for battery cells for the technologies. And uh, by 2025, 26, I would imagine that you're going to be able to charge everywhere. Right? It's going to be pretty common practice to charge everywhere, and you won't have millions of different alternatives. Maybe there will be different companies providing different services, but the, the standards are going to be the same. One of the things uh, other companies seem to be doing is creating new brands for their electric vehicles. So you know, Ford has the Mustang Mach-E. It's a whole new car. They've got the Lightning. Chevy has the Bolt. Toyota famously has the Prius. You have not done that. You have not created new electric vehicles. You've electrified or hybridized your existing vehicles. Why do that? Why not split it out and make it clear this is a technology brand that offers this and these are our existing cars? Why why hybridize the existing vehicles? Because Jeep is going to become electric. Well, there's no point in having another brand. Jeep is going to become electric. So it's going to become at one point 100% electric. The question is how fast, going through different probably stages. But it's going to be a, a, it's going to be a, a pure electric brand at one stage in 10, 15, 20 years. So I think there is no point in, in doing this, at least for Jeep. There's no reason to do it. Uh, when manufacturers really believe in electrification, why do that? So why? I don't, I don't really get it. Why would you create another brand for electric cars when you're going to keep your ICE? So you're going to have a polluting brand and non-polluting brand? What, I, I, don't, I don't understand. You know, in the philosophy for Jeep, for me, and for the company is really to accelerate electrification because we believe that's the right thing to do. And for Jeep, we make the cars even more capable off-road once again. So we're jumping, we're embracing it. We're going full speed ahead with it. So no, uh, no real reason to do that. No, no justification. Well, so this is, ha- this is half a trick question, right? Because you have split out one line of vehicles, not totally away from the Jeep brand, but you have some ultra premium full-size SUVs now called the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer. They're connected to Jeep, but they're off to the side, mm-hmm. I would say. Yep. They don't have a lot of Jeep logos on them. They say Wagoneer on the steering wheel. and on the. Why split off that brand? Wagoneer is, is definitely uh, it's the premium extension of Jeep. We're not separating from Jeep. They will be sold in the Jeep network. But they're going to be premium. They're going to offer more. They're going to be, I would say, less, less focused on the off-road performance, more focused on the premium and on-road performance, even though the off-road capability is really, really good. So the products are more about premiumness than anything else. So we needed to offer a customer experience of another level. That's why we have called it Wagoneer. If you look at Wagoneers, the Grand Wagoneer has a few hints to Jeep all over, right? In the headlights, you have little Jeep logos and everything. So we're not ashamed of it. It has a seven-slotted grille. So it's, <laughs> it's still very much rooted in Jeep. But it's, uh, it's, it's all about the premium experience and we're going to offer you know, additional services and ad- additional care for the customer, which we believe is, is appropriate. So the Wagoneer is a large SUV. It competes with Escalades and other huge SUVs. It has a V8 engine in it. When will the Wagoneer get a hybrid drivetrain or a battery drivetrain? So le- electrification, is, it's on its way and we're going to electrify Wagoneer too. 
That's all I can say at this moment, but we will. As I've spoken to other car executives, the size of cars determines whether or not you can put a battery mm -hmm. in it. Like the Wagoneer is really big. Yeah. I cannot think of a vehicle that size that is a full electric. Is that a stopping point for you? Do you see a solution to that problem? Is it on the roadmap or is that what you're working to solve? But we've announced that we're going to have a Ram 1500 electric. So I don't know why we couldn't do the same on a Wagoneer. That's similar size, similar weight, similar towing capacity, uh, more seating, but we have solutions to it. We're working on it. I would say uh, yeah, the, the back half of a pickup truck is just an empty box. So, uh, you know, there's, there are some differences. <laughs> yeah, there are. There are, but it's possible. There is, yeah, it's, there is obviously a lot of things to do, but it's possible, and we're going to make it happen. So electrification is going to be across the segments. It's not going to be limited to, uh, to a few. I got to ask one more question on names. By quirk of timing alone, you and I are speaking on Indigenous Peoples Day here in the United States. Yeah. You've just announced a new Grand Cherokee. Last year, the, the Cherokee Nation came out and said, it's time to stop using this name. Have you talked to them? Are you going to keep using the name? How does, how's that going? We're having a weekly conversation with the Cherokee Nations. And uh, we're very respectful of them. We have a very good relationship with them. I would say that uh, I'm not going to comment more, but we're, we're establishing really a good relationship with them and... And so far, we've been, uh, we've been okay. We'll see how things evolve. But we're in constant touch. We, we don't want to create any problem with this. We're very respectful. And uh, that's all I can say. But so far, so good. Was there any thought to, hey, we're putting out the new version of the car. It's a good time to change the name. We love the name. We think it's a big name. And we've heard a lot of uh, people from the nation that love the name. They think it's, uh, it's an honor to to have their nation names on a great car, right? So we'll see, we'll see where, where it let, leads us. But, you know, we're, we're working with them on, on finding the right solutions in the future. That's a good time for a break. But before we do that, we did reach out to the Cherokee Nation and gave them an opportunity to reply to what Christian said about using the Cherokee name. Here is what a Cherokee Nation spokesperson told us. Quote, the Cherokee Nation has had a few calls and or virtual meetings with the Stellantis leadership, the last one in June 2021. Chief Hoskin has publicly commented on the Cherokee name for marketing and branding by corporations, as well as the harm native mascots create for schools and in team sports. Those views have not changed. Neither Chief Hoskin or anyone in his administration has ever expressed the idea that the company's use of our name is a great honor. End quote. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Jeep Global CEO, Christian Mounier. All right. I've asked enough questions about the outside of the car. I want to ask about the inside of the car. <laughs> There's a lot of technology in the new Grand Cherokee and in the Wagoneer. And a lot of decisions that I think connect to how does Jeep inside of Fiat Chrysler, inside of Stellantis make decisions. So the Uconnect 5 in the new Jeep Grand Cherokee mm-hmm. and the Wagoneer, it runs Android but it doesn't use Google services. It has Amazon Alexa. You've got a different map. The backseat entertainment system runs Fire TV. Is that a Jeep decision? Is that a Stellantis decision? How does that come down? If you were like, I think we need Google Maps to compete, could you make that switch? I would say it was a decision that was made a few years ago when we developed the Grand Cherokee and the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer. And I think we'll have a good package all together. Can we change in the future? Yes, of course. And and I would say that the infrastructure that we'll get will be across the board on Stellantis, right? We'll have common solution. And as I said, it's all going to be about personalization and adding, adding modules. When I look at the Grand Cherokee and what we've been able to deliver, you know, we had a lot of debate a few years ago, two years, two and a half years ago. Why do we need seven screen or eight? You know, you think about a Grand, a Grand Cherokee or a Grand Wagoneer, we have eight screens. We have seven screens. We have... A cluster, we have the head-up display, we have two screens on the, you know, in the middle, we have a passenger screen and two behind, and we have the rear view mirror, which is also a screen if you have a summit reserve or the top of the, uh, top of the line. Why do that? And a lot of people were asking, why, why do that? And it's very clear what you can do with seven screen. First, you know, I think what, what we're very proud of is to put the, what you call the, the shotgun, uh, the shotgun as the best seat in the car again. You know, that, that <laughs> position used to be a nice position. And over time, that position, the passenger seat in the front, you know, has been a little bit neglected. You didn't have anything for you. The driver had all the controls, including the one for the rear seat entertainment, right? So you had the rear seat entertainment, you had the driver, passenger, the shotgun was completely neglected. So with a passenger <laughs> screen, we give the passenger in the front row a lot more control over everything, including entertainment, control of the seat or the entertainment um, system in the back, plus potentially taking care of the navigation system. So pushing the destination, doing all kinds of things because it interacts with all the screens. And as a driver now, you have your head-up display, you know, you got your speed, you got the maximum speed, you got the direction on your cluster. So you have your navi in your cluster. You can have in the upper screen your music yeah, that you listen to, potentially with headphones so that you don't bother anybody else. And you have your message seat at, at the bottom. And you get massage, <laughs> you got ADAS, L2, L2+, hands-free, and you can enjoy yourself. But the passenger is not bored anymore, right? So I think with all this technology, that's made to, uh, to bring a lot of... Uh, we bring every passenger 
a new story. And the Fire TV, you give that to a three-year-old coming back, you know, watching something on Netflix, getting into the car. In two seconds, he gets it. But, I, but I'm curious about the, the choice of platforms here. It is unusual that I'm talking to a car CEO and I say, why did you pick Fire TV as, as your TV operating system? <laughs> I've talked to a lot of car CEOs the first time this month. <laughs> how, do you, how did you decide, okay, we're going to go with Amazon's platform and not Roku's? It's been a corporate decision. You know, it's a, it's a matter of technology. We went for Alexa. We had a relationship with Amazon. I've been able to come up with a good package, a solution that we believe works well at the right price, right time. I think it's a combination of things. It's a partnership at the right time to get things that we believe were the right ones at the time. And I think we deliver now. I think our customers, the first ones, are really happy with it. And it works. Uh, I think it's about the package you bring. And Amazon you know, is a pretty good company to come up with uh, customer-friendly systems. Then right time and right cost. And at the end, that's how you make a decision as the CEO of a company uh, when you can get everything and you get the and you get the quality as well. So altogether, it's been uh, it's been the right choice. I think we're ahead of many many other manufacturers today. I think that arms race about the user experience in the car and the platforms we're going to use is maybe the most interesting piece of the car business aside from electrification. So I'm I'm always curious how people are making those decisions. The next most interesting thing is you mentioned ADAS, which is Autonomy Systems, Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. Uh, you've said that Jeep will have level two autonomy this year. Some of the cars you can already configure in the 2022 Grand Cherokee. You can click a button and say, I want it. Yeah. It doesn't say how much it's going to cost. Are, is that ready to go? Is that ready to ship? Are you still working on it? What's the timeline for that to come out? We have what we call L2, which is the uh, all-road uh, assist, which basically gives you all this autonomy, but it's still not hands-free. And we have it on Grand Cherokee and Grand Wagoneer. Next year, we'll bring the next generation, which is hands-free. And then at the further stage, we're working, uh, we're working with BMW in a partnership, pretty significant partnership, where we'll bring L3, which is eyes off, right? So which is hands-on, eyes off the road which is coming in the next few years. And then we're working, as you know, on, with Waymo on level four, which is, you know, without constraints in potentially an urban environment, mostly with the application for um, delivery services within geofencing areas. So, yeah, we're ahead of the game on this. I think we're a very good solution. Safety is everything. So we want to introduce systems which are easy to use. If you use a Grand Cherokee level two, you will see that, and it's not geofence, it's not highway only. You can use that wherever you are on an avenue, you can use it anywhere, and it's really very easy to use. So instead of you know pushing quickly to get something out, which was only highway, which was the majority of what other manufacturers did, we wanted to have it available on everything. Another thing that we work on is the off-road autonomous drive, which we believe is the ultimate thing for a Jeep to be able to... Uh, to drive. So we're working on this. Uh, other features that you haven't m mentioned, which I think is really cool on Grand Cherokee and Grand Wagoneer, is night vision. Night vision is something that people have in their imagination as something, you know, for, you know, it's a war game. It's for soldiers. And we have an application which is really awesome. It's looking at statistics. In Michigan alone, last year there were 55,000 accidents related to deers. So impact, no impact, but 
55,000 accidents. And with that feature, you basically have the opportunity to really detect far away uh, an animal, you know, uh, coming from left or right and basically slow down and, and stop before it's too late. So a lot of technology, which are pretty cool, that we believe are very appropriate as well for Jeep in the outdoor. A lot of things that we've uh, somewhat explained very briefly in the EV Day video, that two-minute video. We know we're showing a few uh, pretty cool features that we're working on. Um, uh, I was going to ask you. Yeah. you. You showed a drone. Yeah. You showed stargaze mode where you're lying flat and the car is driving itself. Yes. Is that on the roadmap or is that vision? Some are visions and some are on the roadmap. And in my mind, we all need, we need to do them all. You know, we need to do them all. The solar charging station, we're putting them right now in the U.S. on trails. We want all our 80 trails across the U.S., which are related to badge of honor, which are in our Jeep Wave program, to have at least one. We're putting one on the Rubicon Trail as we speak right now. Biometric recognition is something we need and we're working on. Selectable tire pressure. What is better than your off-road to be able to take air on and off from your car? What is more cool than when you have an electric Jeep to put more power on one wheel versus another, right? You decide, okay, I want the power on the, on the front left. That works pretty well. The peer-to-peer -peer charging is pretty obvious. That is something that is pretty cool when you're off-road with friends and you run out of juice. Your friend still has a little bit more, so you borrow some of it. The drone, honestly, when you're driving off-road, you know, there is nothing cooler than having a complete 360 <laughs> view of everything going on around you, right? But wait, go through this list with me. Yeah. The drone, is that on the roadmap? Are there people at Jeep I'm not gonna, working I, I can, on it I right can't now? tell you that, but obviously this, you know, this, this is more than a thought and a vision, as you can imagine. Otherwise, okay. we would not have shared this kind of, uh, this kind of story. I cover tech companies, man. They say crazy things to me all the time. So yeah. I, biometric recognition, are, are people working on it? Of course, yeah. You know, we're going to be able to open doors with a phone very soon. You know, some brands have done it. Not, not so successfully yet, but there are a lot of technology that are going to be making, uh, I would say, the off-road and the community life of a Jeep owner very cool. When you're off-road, you don't have cell phone coverage, right? But you want to chat with your peers and everything. There are a lot of technology that we can use, right? With connectivity and GPS. So you think about all the, the magnitude of all the connected services we can imagine, free or you know not so free, that we can offer to our customers going forward is unlimited. So a lot of uh, things either completely in the pipeline already decided or currently studied, I would say that the one, uh, the amphibious version is probably the one that we need to work, the, <laughs> still quite a lot of work to, to, to deliver on it. Uh, but the rest, I think the technology is not that far. We can, we can do it. We can do it. It's just a matter of resource and, and potential. And if the customers think it's, it's cool and we need to bring it, we'll bring it. They're, the customer, the Jeep customers are, are the boss, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, one of the things I noticed about that video, right? It's far future amphibious Jeep with a drone. Great vision of the future. Cars had steering wheels in them. So make the same prediction about steering wheels. In 2040, will most Jeeps have steering wheels in them? 
Mm-hmm. That's a good that's a good question. I think in 2030 they will have steering wheels. Uh, in 2040, I still think we're going to need steering wheels because uh, Jeep is not, you know, we're not a transportation brand, right? We're not there to transport from A to Z. We're here to provide pleasure, emotion, driving pleasure, fun to drive. And uh, the steering wheel, whether it's completely round or square or different shape or levers, is going to be very critical because the driver, the owner, is going to be in charge. When he wants to delegate to the car, the car is going to be able to do as well, or, or maybe even better. But the fun to drive is part of our DNA, you know, and it's part of the authenticity of driving a Jeep. So, yeah, we will have a steering wheel, whether it's the same shape or a different shape. We will. Pretty sure. No doubt. Because, you know, you mentioned that FCA has worked with Waymo in the past. I just spoke to the co-CEO of Waymo, to Kidra Maokana. You know, her vision is once we get to level four, I take the steering wheel away and your experience inside the car radically changes. Right. You can do something else inside the car. You can reclaim that time. Do you do you have that same vision, but there just happens to be a steering wheel in case you go off road or is it a different kind of vision? No, but I think I think we want to we want to keep the pleasure to drive intact. We're a lifestyle machine. We sell lifestyle machines and machines that people enjoy driving and have fun driving them. So we're not going to eliminate that. And as the customers at one point want to eliminate, but then there is no need to have a Jeep. If the car drives and does everything itself, I think you lose that 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 emotional connection with your product, with your car, and we don't want to do that. We're not going to build a, a car around, uh, around the screen. A Jeep is first a Jeep, and the technology is going to be an enabler. Jeeps, when you look at the design of a Jeep from the wheelies to down, there is functionality in everything we do and authenticity. The wheel arches, you know, they're not round wheel arches, they're square, right? It's because of efficiency off-road. Functionality is still going to remain a very important piece. We're not going to build technology and then have a car around it. It's not going to be Jeep. We're going to still build a Jeep that people are going to enjoy driving, are going to be proud of. And whenever they're going to, they're going to want to use that L4 technology, they can fall asleep. They can go for a ride with their Jeep or they can go for a walk and the Jeep will find them at the bottom of the hill. That's, <laughs> that's freedom. You know, freedom, authenticity are core values for, uh, for Jeep. Freedom, I think the, the freedom that we've been missing so much in the last couple of years with COVID, I think is a value that is going to be very, very uh, important in the next few years. And I think we want to keep that. And that ability for you to take charge of your own destiny, not leave it to the machine to do everything for you. This is core. Passion, authenticity, freedom are really core to the Jeep DNA. And we're going to keep it, keep it alive. And the community, right? The sense of community. You want to see people waving? I don't know if you have a Wrangler, but you should. <laughs> when you cross another Wrangler guy or girl, you just wave, just hi, you know? And there are many on the road. So sometimes it's a little, you know, wow, I need to do that three times in, <laughs> in, in half a mile. But it's, it's part of it. It's part of the experience. People love this, you know? Well, so here's my last question. I have a Grand Cherokee. I would love to trade it in for a 4 by e I'm proud of you. What day can I trade it in for a four by e? What day? Yeah, when? Early, early next January year. January or you. January or March? Well, well, very early of the year. So in the in the in the first couple months of the year, 2022. 
Okay, and I, I'm taking this question directly, directly from the forums. There's no high altitude trim, the blacked out premium trim. When is that coming? Like, I always ask Carcio's one question from the forums, so this is my question. For, <laughs> for the for the L or for the short? Both. There will be a high altitude. The black, the black versions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that exists. That's coming. Next year? That is coming. You, yeah, you will have the opportunity to buy that. Right. Yes, I that, promise. That's the one I'm looking for. But directly from the forums. It's my, I, my, my goal with it, CEOs it is to connect them to the people. So the forums We're are very connected to the, what people want, <laughs> and we will get that because we know that's very popular and a lot of customers want it. So we'll do it. Okay. Christian, thank you so much for coming, Dakota. This was great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again to Christian Munier for taking the time to talk today, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us up with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone, Alexander Charles Adams, and Andrew Marino. We are edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.